What if I told you that everything you were taught, or at least the majority of it, was bullshit? What you were taught about what was possible in relationship, what was possible in your life, what was possible with your dreams, with what kind of work you could get paid to do, that all of that was bullshit. That other people were taught that too, and so they taught that to you so that you would stay in the box, so that you would follow the rules, so that you would stay compliant, so that you wouldn't shake the system too much. And if you just started to shake it, if you just started to want more, they'd call you selfish. They'd say you won't be able to make money doing that. Why can't you just appreciate what you have? And you go back. And this is not to dismiss that what might be called seemingly a normal quote-unquote life cannot be fulfilling. And this is not to say not to appreciate what you have. This is to say what happens if you were socialized and cultured and influenced to turn down the volume on what you desired to keep other people comfortable. You know, you think about that. Think about that, that we protect people from their dreams because we're afraid that they won't achieve them and then they'll be left in disappointment. But the only reason we do that is because we don't know how to sit in disappointment ourselves. And so we try to save people from feelings we do not know how to sit in. And gosh, am I excited about today's guest because we're going to get into it. You will not leave this podcast not inspired. (laughs) Let me tell you that. You cannot leave the podcast you're about to listen to not thinking I'm going to shake some shit up. So we're about to get into that. Before we do, wherever you listen to this, please subscribe to it. Please give it a five-star review and a written review that helps get it into more people's ears. And I'm so excited for today's episode because it's going to make you want to share it because you're going to want to make this contagious because you're going to want other people to wake up to possibility so we can turn up the volume on all of us so we can change the world and do that by changing ourselves. I wanted to take a quick break in this episode to talk to you about the greatest struggle that people have in dating, and that is asking the right questions. And not just the right questions, but asking hard questions. Questions that determine if someone wants what you want, what you are, what your relationship status is, that that deepen vulnerability and intimacy. And ultimately, asking the right questions allows you to get to know someone on a deeper level, gets to know their values, get to know whether they're a good fit for you. Now, I recognize that When I get feedback on asking questions, people say, that's too hard to ask, or it's too soon to ask that, or whatever the excuse or thought or feeling or fear might be. And so I thought, shit, let me ask the hard questions. And that's why I created Create the Love Cards. Create the Love Cards is created with such intention for you to deepen your conversations on dating. And because of that, the deck, when you open it up, it fits two smartphones. So you can put your phone inside the box as you take the cards out so you can both be present. Now, if someone doesn't want to play, I'm like, swipe left. That's a red flag. Like, who doesn't want to play a game? Second, I've got it in four sections. So we've got foreplay, diving deeper, too much information, because would it be a deck from me if it didn't have TMI, and building chemistry. 
So there's four sections for you to explore the landscapes of one another and see if you're a good fit. If you want to have deeper conversations, if you want to take this deck of cards on your dates or on your date night, or you think this would be a good gift for a couple, then go to createthelove.com slash cards. I put them at a really accessible price of 30 bucks, and I can't wait for you to check them out. They've received rave reviews. People are loving them. I have actually one friend who took them out on its second date with someone that she was hitting it off with. And after she got the answers to the questions that the deck provided, she realized that this person was not a good fit and swiped left and now is in a relationship with someone she loves. So that's what dating is about, is it's about filtering. And also my intention is to support you along that journey to not just finding the person that you want, but if you're with them, asking the questions that help create and deepen intimacy. So go to createthelove.com slash cards and grab a set now. So I've been chasing Kathy Heller to get on this podcast because she is brilliant. She's an inspiration for me. She is a badass. She will shake your shit. She will get you to change your life in some way. She will remind you that you can. That's that's maybe a better way of saying it. So let's not mess around listening to me. Let's listen to Kathy. All right, let's do this. Well, this has been long awaited. Kathy, you and I have been playing cat and mouse to get on the podcast here, and I'm so excited to finally have you for you listening. I've got the brilliant, incredibly inspiring Kathy Heller. In- what is it? What is the term that Seth Godin coded you as? Radical encourager. A radical encourager, deliverer of hope. You change people's lives. I love your podcast, love your book. And I'm so excited to have you here to impart this knowledge upon all of us. So thank you for being here. Oh my gosh. Well, everybody instantly loves you. You are easy to love. It's like when you get the oatmeal and you just add water and you get that instant like (laughs) done. It's immediate with you. So I've started following along on the journey of you. And then my friend, our friend, Sherry Salata, I was doing something with her And no other human was mentioned except for she said, can I just mention one person to you today before we finish up? Do you know Mark? I said, yeah, I follow. She goes, he's got it. Mm. He's got it. And I said, wow, for her to want to make sure that she talked to me about you. I said, okay, we definitely now need to like know him, know him. So that's how we wound up getting here. I'm so happy. And you know, Sherry, if you're going to have a hype person, Sherry Salata is a good person. <laughs> is your hype? Not a bad person because for those who don't know, she was president of Harpo. She was the executive producer of Oprah. And I always say to her, I'm like, you sat in the living room, like the Insane. living room with, with whoever it is, right? They all came through those doors. And she said, Mark, he's, he's the, he's the magic maker. She said that. She's been she speaking for a long time. I love it. She knows it's, talent. She had this really beautiful conversation with her where I asked her the same thing. Like you've sat, in at a couch with the the minds, the hearts, the souls, the channels, the whatever we want to call them. I was like, what is the one thing? She said, this was post when I drank, this is post three bottles of wine between us or while in, we were in other dimensions. And she said to me, you don't, you don't need them. And then she said, wait, no, you need them to remind you that you don't. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, that's it. Which 
is really the work that you do, is that you remind people of possibility. Podcast and book are both called Don't Keep Your Day Job. And I listen to your podcast and I love it because when you have people on who have followed through your work, they have started these businesses that are built specifically on what they love. And they never thought it was possible to make money and to change their life and to sit in a space where they wake up every day and they literally are in love with their lives and they're getting paid to be in love with their lives. It's like when I first started talking about relationships, anyone I said, I'm like, I'm going to quit this somewhat lucrative pharma career. That's certain with, as they say, golden handcuffs and really not work as much as a regular person. And I'm going to quit all that to do what I love and the universe is going to catch me. No one would have ever. Everyone was like, yeah, sure, Mark. Good luck with that. We'll see you back at the recruiter, you know? <laughs> yeah, so, for sure. yeah, thank you for what you do because it really is transformational. That's so nice. And yeah, I, I clearly agree that I find it important. I've always known that this is what I wanted to do. My friend said to me once, Everything we do, we wind up realizing we we do for our mother. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. It's like when I was growing up, my mom had her dreams like dying inside of her. And she was so unfulfilled. And I knew that in her senior yearbook, she was like most talented, most likely to be a star, always the lead in the drama department productions. But yet here she was in a really unhappy marriage, feeling so sad and like, brushing my hair, telling me how much she gave up because she thought she had to choose between being a real person or starving and going after some dream and all of that. So I just saw the sadness and like the real depression. And my parents had an awful marriage and an even worse divorce. My mom was actually suicidal and we had to sort of, you know, really get her some help many times. It came really close and I was living with that. And I thought, why do people want to, why, why are people so in this race to grow up? Being an adult seems like it's miserable. You're in these unhappy marriages. It's just what they tell you. That's just how it is. You do these jobs you don't like. People say, well, that's just what you do. And somewhere along the line, you're like 40 and you're walking from the car to the office and you go, I hate my life. And what the hell? I did all the right things. I went to high school. I got grades so I could go to college. I got grades in college so I could get that job. I got the 401k why am I so unhappy? I think I've been obsessed with that for a long time. And um, and what wound up happening to me is I, I always had this dream job idea of like, I'd love to be a songwriter. And so I came out to LA when I was 23 looking for like, oh my God, where's the Wizard of Oz? I want to write songs. And I didn't know the right people and I didn't have any money, but I got I got like a day job and I wrote pretty mediocre music and then the music got a little bit better and I really focused on it. And then I got a record deal and I got signed to Interscope and I was like, oh my God, you know, like they were wrong. Like this does happen to people like us Mm. and you don't have to just be one in a million. Like you can actually do it. And then I got dropped from the label and I remember Ron Fair calling me. I was driving in my car. He's like, can you call when you get home? And I'm like, just tell me now. He's like, are you on the 10? And I was like, I'll pull pull off. So I get off the freeway and he's like, Jimmy Ivan likes you, but we don't think it's a top 10 smash, but it was close. I'm like, oh, darn it. I remember sitting in that car and crying and being like, how do I get from here to there? The there Mm -hmm. was, I just wanted to use my gifts and do a thing. And it just didn't feel 
really felt like it was all or nothing. It was either you be Beyonce or you won't be anything. Like you have to either have this special, special thing happen to you or you will be miserable, but you'll be practical and you'll be realistic (laughs) and you'll be miserable the majority of your life, but you'll make the money. And so I was like, okay, I have to go do a thing like that. So I got a bunch of job jobs. Mm. And I remember like- I remember like seeing myself in the mirror. I was working in Brentwood for this real estate developer who I met in line at the Cheesecake Factory. And he was like, you have a good personality. Come work for me. I'm a billionaire. And I start working for him and he's paying me like $150,000 and I'm 25 and just got dropped from a record label. And I'm telling myself, you're never going to get you to your dream, but you're going to get good sushi rolls. You're going to get to buy the furniture from anthropology you always thought you wanted and life is good. And I'm doing this for two years. And my friends are saying to me, you are crushing it. Dream jobs never happen. And look what you did. You found a job job that makes you good money. So this is it. Welcome to the absolute pie in the sky American dream. And I was like, okay, why do I feel like my jaw is so tight at night that I come Mm. in the next day with neck pain and like pins and needles in my fingers because my neck is so tight that I'm literally in pain. And then I see myself, I catch myself one day in the elevator. I see myself in the reflection in a pantsuit and I'm like, I don't know who I am. I don't know what I'm doing. The guy I was dating was the wrong guy. Everything was the wrong. I was playing a character and I just needed to delete it. So I delete it and I say, is there any other way that I can do something I like to do and make a living at it? And I said, I'm going to be hell bent on answering this question. And so I put all my resourcefulness into it until I found a way. I started writing music for film and TV. I found a way to write music. I found a way to get paid to write music. And I wrote music for TV shows like Pretty Little Liars and Grey's Anatomy and Coke commercials. Oh, wow. Full-length songs, not jingles. I would write songs and license them. And then I would play shows. And I started making $55,000 for my song to be in a McDonald's ad. Or I would make $11,000 for the last scene in One Tree Hill. And I was like, see, I have a song. I have a passion. And I actually make money. And now my parents started saying like, oh, this is a thing. I'm like, I think it's a thing. (laughs) So I started turning it into like a sustainable thing. I was like, okay, well, if I did this many songs a year, I could make a few hundred thousand dollars. And so I did. And so for a decade, I wound up figuring out like who needed the songs, right? So I started having to ask questions like, okay, well, where are the places where people need music? Paramount, Netflix, Amazon, NBC. Okay, what's the name of the girl who chooses the music for those shows? And who chooses these trailer songs? Okay, I'm going to make relationships with those people. And then I learned a big lesson, which is called empathy, that Mm. a lot of artists I knew were saying to me, so you're a sellout. I get it. Because you either get to do what you love or you do something you hate. But you're doing is it looks like something you love, but no, you're doing what people want you to do. So you're getting paid to write music. Well, that I would never do. I'd rather start be a starving artist and be a barista, but play the songs I want. And I said, no, that's not how it works. I realized that how any business works, any business, anywhere there's money changing hands, of course you have to care because the person paying you is paying you because they need or want something you do. Mm. And so I realized that these people at Paramount and NBC and Lionsgate, they found me refreshing because I started saying before I would send them music and say, can you use this? I would say, what do you need? And they would say, the story we're telling is about a girl who has a sister. And I would say, oh, I can write you a sister song. And then I thought, oh my gosh, 
Real artists, as my friend Jeff Goen said, they didn't starve. Michelangelo was commissioned to paint the Sistine Chapel. And so was Mozart commissioned to make all of those beautiful songs. And John Williams. And when Sarah Bareilles wrote the Broadway show Waitress and Lin-Manuel wrote the music for Moana, I'm sure he had a few meetings with Pixar and said, what story are we telling? And so I thought, actually, this is amazing. I get to use me, my gifts, to reach a person and to be a part of something that just makes so much sense. And I loved it, loved it, loved it. And what wound up happening is I was featured in a bunch of magazines. I was in like full page stories were written about me in Billboard and Variety and the cover of the LA Weekly Music section. And I was like, why is this newsworthy? And people said, because you are, you're so happy. You're making real money. And the whole way you're going about business is like relationship building and you like it and and you're mature and you can show people a path to like, it's not all or nothing. It's not, it's me or you, meaning I choose myself and starve or I choose you and I lose my soul. It's like, there. that's not how it ever is supposed to work. So, so what wound up happening is I started being asked to speak a lot. And long story short, somebody heard me speak and said, could you teach this? Could you teach us how you did this? And I'm like, teach songwriters? Why would I teach songwriters? I never anticipated that. But I actually did love speaking about what the different pieces were of how I was able to make a living. And so I started an online course out of the blue called Six Figure Songwriting. And I did a webinar and the webinar had not one slide because I don't know anything about online marketing. I just did a webinar with my pregnant belly. It was me straight to camera just talking to people, telling them some things. And at the end, I said, if you want, I'm going to do this course, which had no video module, nothing. It was just me and them. Like, but we could be together and use this thing called the internet to meet each other once a week. Well, it wound up making $2 million the first year I I launched that program. And this is a songwriting community that their population isn't known for being like, we're songwriters, we're rolling in it. Like they're just (laughs) artists. And then those artists started to say like, oh my God, for the first time in my life, I was able to quit my insurance job or I was able to leave the bar that I was bartending because I got a song in a Starbucks ad and I did this and I did that. And now I'm writing music for Grey's Anatomy and I'm so happy I get to do this thing. What wound up happening from there is that one of my students said, you should start a podcast because this is relevant to anyone who has a dream, whether they really want to be baking or they truly want to be organizing people's homes or they really want to open a yoga studio. There's got to be a way to break it down and show them how to get resourceful and how to get paid to do something that doesn't feel like a job. And then I started realizing, oh, this is going back to what I said about my mom, because I say, don't keep your day job because the day job is a euphemism for everything that feels like a have to that you don't want to. The dream is don't have any job, do your life's work, do something that feels like you. So you feel like you get paid and you don't work at all. When I was writing those music, those songs. Well, sorry, when I was writing music and writing those songs all the time, I was making a few hundred thousand dollars a year. It never felt like a job. It was like Disneyland. And then when I started the course, it didn't feel like a job. I liked it. It was fun. It was like, oh, this makes sense. I'm teaching this person this thing that I love doing. And I am excited because it is possible. And then from there, I started the podcast and the podcast overnight just blew up. And in four years, we're at 21 million downloads. But got under people's skin right away because I think words from the heart speak to the heart. And now, four years later, I don't teach musicians how to get into the music business. I teach human beings how to say, you know what? I have a seven-year-old kid inside of me who liked waking up every day. 
were things that I did that made me happy. And I do want to be a fixer. And I do want to find that intersection of where I like doing a thing that actually adds value to someone else. And boy, if I could get paid to do that, I could get better at doing it because I could only do that. And then I get better at it. Then I might even really be able to make a big difference. And huh, I would feel like I beat the system. And so I teach people now, I have a program that sort of is sort of derivative of the podcast called Made to Do This, where in 12 weeks, we we get people out of this. I have to be perfect. We get people courageous enough to ideate and try things and give things away, like knit something for someone or spend an hour and, and help someone shop their own closet because that's their gift or hold space for people and create a, a little Zoom night for moms with special needs kids. Like whatever is the thing you really wish you could create, you start trying it. And then you see like there's actually a way to get paid because you're serving and there's a market already looking to pay someone for that thing. And you learn how to let them pay you for it. And then you learn how to really hold space better. And you then go, of course, I want them to pay me and not go somewhere else because I I want to really show up and do this thing for them. And so we've seen, we see about 2,000 people a year come through the program, quit their jobs, and the tears are the happiest tears because getting paid to do something you love is like this ultimate feeling of like, is this real? So- It comes back to what you said, which is when people come to the class, I say, becoming who you are is unbecoming everything you're not. And it's like when you said that thing about possibility, the biggest lie is it's just not possible. But when you see evidence that it is, you will reach for that branch. We reach for the highest branch we see. And the Mm. problem is it's not modeled for us. And we have all these limiting beliefs. And then you hear this belief and your brain goes, let me search for the evidence that this limiting belief is true. But the most fake news thing there is, is your thoughts just lying to you all day. I love that. Because that's, I mean, ultimately the challenge of going after what you love, how you put it in this perfect perspective of we think it's this extreme, these two extremes that you're choosing between One, you do what you love and that's great, but you trade something for that. Or you do not what you love and you get safety and security and a day job. And yeah, you're right. The words day job of like that nine to five or let's be honest, seven to seven or whatever people work in those those positions is heavy. It feels like, I guess I got to go do this thing. How you said, we look at people's lives and we think, well, I guess I just have to get married and not be in love anymore. And I'm supposed to do this job that doesn't fulfill me. And this idea that you can't create, do what you love, be in your zone of genius. And people want to actually pay you for the value you're providing for the thing you're solving. And I love what you said about artists too, because so often it's like you sold out because you're actually getting paid to do the thing. And that you're actually solving a problem for your customer and you use the word empathy, which, you know, I think from a relational lens, you were from a romantic relational lens. That's how you solve problems too, is that I'm empathic to your experience. And then I can see the world through your eyes. And then some way we create something together, a solution, and we are unified. Our our relationship is deepened. You're witnessed in that experience. I feel like I've provided value and trust has been garnered. And gosh, if we all operated that way just in our lives, but especially in the way that we pursue our dreams, 
anything is possible. And I remember when I first wanted to do this and someone's like, you can do that. Just fucking leap and the universe will catch you. And I was like, are you high? Like who says stuff like that? You sound too, you're too idealistic, you know, because I'd been trained. I did a finance degree. So like, I don't think it gets more cookie cutter than that. And I haven't really touched finance thing since the undergrad. I don't even know how to trade a bear spread or whatever the fuck it was called. I have no clue. Because it was not practical to my actual life. Yeah, I think it's it's worth the time to see if you can ask a better question, which is instead of saying that's not possible, it's like, can you ask a question of what lights me up? What makes me come alive? And what do I think needs fixing in the world? Mm. And could I put them together? And the answer is not only can you, But the fulfillment you'll feel is through the roof because what's amazing about human beings, and we see this in fMRIs when we put people in different situations, is the thing that actually makes us feel satisfaction and happiness is contribution, is making an impact. So we must, we must, and we can do it with the gifts we've been given. It's kind of like every one of us comes in the world And God gives us like a bag of tools and you look in somebody's bag and there's like a pen and there's like a, whatever, a typewriter. You're like, oh, this person, probably a writer and they could use their writing to impact people. Like I just will never forget watching Goodwill Hunting and like how I felt in the theater, like the script Mm -hmm. of that movie, the power of that dialogue, like it's not your fault. No, no, I get it. No, it's not your fault. It's not. He's like, I get it. That scene, like I could cry thinking about it, like those words impacted so many people, right? So some people, your gift is, you know, writing. Some people, your gift is holding space. Some people, your gift is. So chances are you can find in your bag of tools, what's the gift that when you do it, time just stands still. You're just in service, right? It's like God is the author. You're the pen in that moment. I think Tom Petty probably felt that way when he played guitar. I'm sure Serena feels that way when she's hitting those balls. I feel that way when I'm speaking. I just feel like it just feels like things go into alignment and time stands still. So when we do that thing that feels that good and Mm -hmm. it hits something for someone else, why else are we here? Like, We are here to make the world whole. If we're here, we're needed. If if anyone's here and listening, you've been assigned. You're not here as an extra. You're needed. And you're needed, and it requires a little bit of your attention to stop being, to stop sitting it out and say, what does light me up? And, And how could I use what lights me up to also affect the thing that breaks my heart? Because what lights you up and what breaks your heart Mm. are the two biggest clues. Because what breaks my heart is people feeling invisible, people feeling lonely, people walking through the world and not not ever really getting, they are so valuable. And so I ask myself, why is that that people don't do it? People will come to me with business ideas for hand lettering company. They're going to start making their greeting cards or they want to start a podcast or they want to make their own candles or whatever their business is. And they say, I have this problem with my business. And I say, it's actually not a business problem. It's just a courage problem. Mm -hmm. And at the Mm -hmm. end of the day, it's because every person by the age of like nine has had their heart shattered. 
And what happens is we do this very strategic thing where we say, I know what I'm going to do. I just won't want it that much. I won't want love that much. I won't want a dream that much. I don't want to get rejected. And I have so much to lose when I want something. Because by the age of nine, someone probably passed away or left or hurt you or rejected you, or you saw someone else be rejected by someone you loved. And you said, not me, that Mm. won't be me. So we, we stop being alive. We stop feeling things. We stop trying for things. We sit on the bench and we lie to ourselves and we say, oh, I wouldn't want to be in the game anyway. I'm really happy on the bench. And then we start saying, oh, even if I went out there, it's not possible to actually be in the game. You can't really ever shoot the hoops. It's kind of rigged. Oh, and I'm not enough anyway. I'm not tall enough. So I have no reason to even be accountable for getting off the bench because nothing really is possible about it. And I'm not the right person for the job. So I'll just tell myself that sitting on this bench is what I'm here to do, except your soul says to you every day, Netflix isn't cutting it. (laughs) Adding that to your cart on Amazon isn't cutting it. None of this is cutting it. Stop eating that thing you really don't want to eat. Stop scrolling your phone. And instead, reach. Reach for that thing that actually lights you up. And what does it require? It requires you to be available for pain and rejection. And it requires that you get to be liberated. You get to be liberated. You get to meet your resistance and say, all this stuff that's been dictating what choices I make I get a chance to say, no more. And then what? What might happen? How much spaciousness comes into my life? How many cool experiences might I get to have? Because I was willing to say, I won't let the fear of this pain or rejection stand in the way of me showing up for the thing. And I say to people when they start my program, write it down. I'm proud to be a C student. And I give myself permission to make mediocre things. It requires that when you begin and when you middle and when you end, the whole process, there's no there there. You have to be willing to put things out in the world. And yet here's the big, the, the big kicker. I'm here to be present with you is a whole love language. So even if your, your thing isn't as good or perfect or your, whatever you're doing isn't as whatever you wished it was, people ultimately just want to be seen. So Mm -hmm. if you know how to make presents for people, goes back to the empathy, you already won. And so if your coffee shop, the coffee isn't as good as the coffee from the one down the street, but every time someone walks in, there's just something in the way you look at them, it's done, right? So it's like, that's why I got all those music opportunities. Because when I would walk in the office, the first thing I would say isn't, can I play you my new song? I would say, What happened? You said you went to Ann Arbor. So what happened with your grandmother? Because I know you said she lives there. So is she okay? Is that why you went? And this woman says to me, you're the only person who asked about that. And I'm like, well, I'm really just here to be here. Never here to be here because that could lead to this other place to be. I just want to be here because I trust that when we're all showing up and being present, all the magical things happen. So I just have so much to say about how distracted we get from what we actually want our lives to be like and how it's really just a coping mechanism. And it's not actually 
saving us by sitting it out? And how many people right now could use you, who's ever listening, to show up even if you're messy and be available? You would be changing so many lives, but then it would require you let go of the shame around how unperfect you are. And not recognizing that the shame, or sorry, the imperfection is really what other people are seeking to get permission to have. A hundred percent. It's so lovely when someone is not working so hard to impress you, you know, like so annoyed by that culture of like faux authenticity. And it's like, here's my avocado toast. Here's my perfect kids and their plaid matching outfits. And my husband is amazing and life is amazing. And I'm thinking, why do you feel such shame that you have to work that hard every day to make me believe a story that we both know is not always true? Why can't you say it the way it actually is and then give both of us the permission? So I've seen people um, through, through the course of doing this work, we've had so many students and listeners start businesses and adventures that are just incredible. One of them is this woman, Danielle Silverstein, who she said to me, okay, I'm going to do it. And she started a podcast called Marriage and Martinis because her and her husband were about to get divorced. Literally like it was happening. There was addiction problems. There were lots of interesting problems that were all public mm-hmm. by the time she started her podcast. So this is now public. The point is, she said, Kathy, every time I look for stuff on relationships, I just hear everyone saying like, my marriage podcast is about how perfect my marriage is. And let me mm-hmm. tell you how to get there. And let me give you some prescription advice. And so she said to her husband, you know, we're about to call it quits anyway. What if we started a podcast first about what's really going on? Maybe Kathy's right. Maybe being messy, we don't have the right equipment. We don't have childcare right now. Our kids are clanging doors in the background, but we can sit here and talk about what's going on just to do it as an exercise. And they did. And sure enough, within like six months, they had 300,000 downloads. They were on the cover of a section of the New York Post And thousands of people wrote in and said, you just saved us from divorce because now we know we're not alone. Mm -hmm. We also haven't slept in the same bed in years. We also never have sex. We also had infidelity. We also have a gambling problem. We also have this. And then they worked through it and it saved their marriage and all these other people, not because it was like, look at me, look at me. It was, let's do this together. Why don't you come with me? Why are we so afraid to tell the truth? And how many beautiful ideas And gifts has that prevented us from because it's not this thing. It's not as shiny as that. And meanwhile, the only way I can literally get someone home, I have to know their address. I can't get you home. I don't know your address. So it's already done. You're overqualified. It's like, (laughs) it's possible. And then people say, no, on a very realistic level, I can't quit my job. And I go, how much do you make at your job? Okay, six, seven thousand dollars. You don't think you can make six, $7,000 doing what you love? Oh, absolutely not. Okay, I'm telling you that you can. How many humans in the world would you need to do this thing or this thing? Actually, right, correct. So if you were willing to have a few conversations a day or to do this and be generous and deposit with people in this way, they might ask you for that thing. You never have to sell it. What? Mm. It's amazing just how much we're not taught about how possible it is. Yeah, as you said, it's sort of all, I do love what you said about the nine-year-old. By nine, we've experienced all these things. So we spend our lives protecting ourselves from having that experience ever again, turning down the volume on who we are, on how we love, on how we dream, which is so ironic because I 
often think about the paradox that we're asked, what do we want to be and to dream it when we're kids? And then we're told by the same people, that's not realistic when we're teenagers or adults. And we said about the truth, like we're so unwilling to just tell the truth or just stand in the truth or just connect to the truth and say, I miss you. I resent you. I, whatever it is, or I haven't pursued this thing. I hate my job. I hate my life or whatever it is that the moment you declare it, you just claim the truth. You just put it out on the table, write it on a piece of paper, whatever we do, it's now outside of us. And, you know, it fuels the scrolling, fuels the Amazon cart adding, fuels all that is the gap between we're living and what's real. And that's why there's so much momentum against stopping all that stuff and actually standing in our truth, standing in our purpose and our possibility, that the whole world is really rigged against that. And there's a whole pharma industry treating that, you know, and, and, and all the inflammatory processes that are engaged by disconnection from self. And dare to say, there, I'm going to say there's certainly a correlation, because I know there is, with even autoimmune and not being fully in our truth, because Think about what autoimmune is, which is to to fight with one's own body, to fight with one's own truth. You know, I have a friend who recently was like, I don't know why I have all these allergic reactions. He's allergic to pretty much everything. And he's also not telling the truth in his life. And, you know, obviously there's more confounding factors to all of that. So I'm not just. Oh, no. In on this. I mean, I just spent a week with Joe Dispenza. Oh, my gosh. It was incredible. And I spent a couple of years learning at the Mindful Awareness Research Center at UCLA. So I've been really a fan of mindfulness and I did a program with John Kabat-Zinn and I always found it so fascinating that people don't realize that our thoughts literally create our biology because your thought creates a chemical that gets released in your brain, which goes then into your body. And then your body builds receptors for these thoughts. So when you're feeding yourself shame and guilt and self-doubt all day, your body builds receptors to this cortisol, just like it would build a receptor to nicotine if you were a smoker. What people don't get is that your body literally gets addicted to it. So when you start to cross the river and start trying to break through your upper limit and you start to say or be around someone who's starting to bring you other place and your body starts getting like serotonin and dopamine and different things start happening, your physical body that is built with receptors for cortisol is writhing and mm. will go, no, no, no. And we'll try to bring you back and unseat you. And you have these patterns you've fired and wired in your brain, these neural pathways that are going to like try to hold your biology, hold your cells, hold your whole being. And what's also insane about it is they did these studies with this magnetometer. They measured goose eggs, reptile eggs. They measured babies in the mother's womb and they found magnetometer always could find where the head was, where the head was in the egg, right? The head was at the bottom or the, the top. Wherever the head was, the magnetometer had a positive charge. Wherever the, the feet were, there was a negative. That means a positive and a negative create a magnet, right? We know we are energy. Mm -hmm. We know we are more mm -hmm. energy than particle, than physicality. 
When we're in fight or flight, when our bodies are hooked into the cortisol, when we are hooked into fear, shame, doubt, those things, and they use a magnetometer, there's no positive charge at the head. We are more physical than we are energy at that point. Mm. We are hooked in. In fact, a deer is in fight or flight because a hunter is on the prowl and it hears a gunshot. The pupils dilate. All the blood rushes to your extremities. You activate everything, right? Which takes so much energy from your immune system. When we simulate that all day, every day, all day, every day, our our physical biology says, have mercy, I cannot do it. And it starts creating different kinds of proteins, which create different kinds of disease. So your thoughts are equal to your biology in this moment. And if you start turning on different thoughts, you literally create different kinds of chemicals, which creates different. And then what happens is your thoughts create your actions, right? So then your actions change your mood. Then they give you reinforced new different thoughts. So then Mm. you start getting out of this program. You're running an automatic program. So I see people who their whole life, they've been like, oh, I've just been down or sad and I have to do these 14 things to just be me. And I'm like, or you could get that all of that is a story, And it's constantly running. So it's creating something that feels very real. But but who you really are is this consciousness, right? This soul that's much bigger than this like body and the story of like, this is my size, shape, bank account, zip code. Like, okay, so that's always within reach. And when you drop into an open heart, when you drop into compassion and love and joy and enthusiasm and all of that, you break free from all this other stuff that keep keeping you very limited. I wonder if it starts to change your immune system. And then I wonder if it actually is so much easier to get from here to there because we build worlds with our energy. So maybe if we changed our energy in the way that we show up, we're now working like in the quantum sphere, right? So we collapse time and space. And we resonate with things. It's like sending out sonar, bing, and then whatever's supposed to harmonize with that. And so it is, it just happens. When we're really locked into fear and shame and doubt, we really are so much more physical than we are energy. I was having acupuncture the other day and I'm looking at the needles and I I have acupuncture all the time and I go, oh, it's a metal needle. Why does acupuncture work? Metal is a conductor of energy. I'm energy. Right. Duh. So when when I'm back in the flow, it's just all done. And it's it's it and so it is, and so it is. When mm. I'm not in that flow, I'm trying to make something happen while sending out this low vibration of shame, fear, doubt, and then thinking that something else is the reason that this can and that can't. What am I sending out? What is actually going to happen here? Nothing. And just keep getting back more of the same. And your brain just like lulls itself to sleep because there's no reason to turn it on. You're just running a program. It's just amazing how much we don't get. We can literally break free of it. Like anytime we want to. That courageous choice, that moment where we choose to do something differently to invite a different thought, a different moment, a different possibility. I think about that a lot in relational patterns, that they only repeat because we repeat choices, which as you're talking about is this 
neurochemical cocktail that is familiar and certain. And you can just look around yourself and find validation that that you can stay there. Or as you said, you can reach for the highest branch. You can see maybe through hearing this, you're listening and you're like, wait, I know there's more to life. I know there's more and I can feel differently. I don't have to feel like this. I remember when I worked as a farmer rep, and we worked in, I worked in the area of GI and people had irritable bowel syndrome, that irritable bowel syndrome. And people were just so normalized to the experience of their body, you know, that like, I'm just, it's normal for me to have diarrhea all the time or to be constipated or to be bloated or to, not to recognize the brilliance in the symptom, you know, the brilliance in the body's experience, the somatic experience that says like, we're stuck in fight, flight, freeze. Why? And what you said about the magnets, you know, I love getting into the woo because I certainly got a lot of woo in, in me. And I recognize that if I watch the news or go on Twitter, I can feel the cortisol. I can feel the dopamine. I can feel even, I remember reading this book where it said that when we find new information, it rewards the same parts of our brains as when we would find food and how easy it is to just go down this pathway, of course, as well of having our beliefs validated, having our point of view validated. And I have to constantly be mindful. And sometimes I lose to the biological programming that says like cortisol is going to flood you and then you're going to have less choices because your amygdala is going to be the one making the choices. 100%. You know? Yeah. I mean, you just said before, like, I have so much compassion for human beings around this because I'm working with myself all the time, you know, trying to tame the stallion, you know, trying to be Same. in charge, you know, and, and I made certain strides, you know, I've been able to have moments where I, I recover from being a pleaser and say to someone something that I don't know if they want to hear and I know I have to say it. And those moments are terrifying and I've been able to show up for that. Or I've been able to, you know, say something to my father that I, I, I know is like me climbing a mountain. At the same time, you know, growing a business and all that, it can look like she's figured it out. Well, there's certain areas where I have less resistance, but in my marriage... I am so addicted to keeping myself safe. And so you just said is like, I'll lose because my body goes, come on, can't you just, if you can just think that one thought, you can unseat this feeling of vulnerability and you can go back to feeling safe. And then your body goes, oh yeah, yeah. This little bit of discord feels much more safe. And what it comes down to, which is so painful and so beautiful at the same time, is that whenever I have really looked at what that really is that we won't let go of, what are we really trying to protect ourselves from? It's almost like it's not feeling worthy of being loved. And when I was first in therapy, I was dating my first boyfriend in, in college and I was like 19 I remember saying to my therapist, why am I having all this stuff? And she said, if you were a, a burn victim and you had third degree burns, what would be kinder for me to do? Hold you really tight or stand 10 feet from you? And she said, when you feel 
Like that, so, so funny. I mentioned that goodwill hunting thing. It's not your fault. No, 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 I get it. No, it's not. Okay, stop. No, you really think it's your fault. When I get to the heart of why people don't grow their business, it's about receiving. When I get to the heart of why people don't have the marriage they want, they're going to say, he's this, he's that. It's the last time he actually held you. Could you receive that? The last time somebody wanted to pay you, oh, I thought I was going to throw up. I could never charge for it. And I went to Onsite. It's a place like an hour. Do you know Miles Adcox and Bob Goff? Do you know those guys? No. They have this incredible place. It's a retreat center. It's an hour out of Nashville. And a bunch of my podcaster friends had gone and they were like, you should go. And you do psychodrama for seven days. So there's like a team of therapists. You get put in a small group and you go back and like relive certain aspects of your childhood. It's like fascinating. And you're there. You have to give up your phone for a week. Great food. There's horses. It's just great. I was flying home and Donald Miller had gone to onsite and I was reading his book, Scary Close. And on the, I don't know, fourth chapter on the right-hand side of one of the pages, he said, and I realized that if it's love, it can't be earned. By definition, if it's love, it's just given. And I think this whole thing, like at the end of the day, what everyone's protecting themselves from is I'm in the story of I have to earn it. I have to earn it. I have to earn it. And if I don't feel worthy of it, or I feel like by you giving it to me, I actually have to do more to earn it, then I can't. It's this double bind. But love is a gift. And unfortunately, for most human beings, the way that we were shown love, something you earned. If you were skinny, you got more of it. If you got the good grade, you got more of it. It was withheld. Looks like love. It sounds like love. It quacks, it walks. It's not love. It's something else. Love is here it is. Here, take it. So for me, growing up with a mom who was suicidal and a dad who walked out and never came back, and there were years of my life, he didn't even, nothing, no birthday cards, no graduation, nothing. Having two so self-absorbed parents For me, not only do I have to crawl on my knees in the desert, I got to save your life. I have to be, I have to run the show and the whole thing. Yeah. So I just think we, of course, all these programs are going to take hold because the payoff is I would actually have to sit with this feeling of, I don't feel worthy feeling good. I don't Mm. feel worthy of just having joy. All these people who read these books on happiness and this and that. And so what if you're given it? Or what if Gay Hendricks says, how happy are you willing to actually be? And if you thought this thought and let go of this, you could have it. You're like, no, that's the scariest (laughs) feeling in the world. Actually feeling joy all day long. I don't feel worthy of it. I feel so vulnerable all of a sudden. I feel like I'm going to lose everything. All those other things feel much more interesting all of a sudden. Mm. So it's just amazing, this this like lie. It's like everything I'm doing, I, you know, why did I buy that jacket? I hope it'll make me happier. Why did I go on the vacation? It's going to make me happier. Would you really want to be happy? What's that involved? Well, it involves letting go of your story, actually receiving that this you're on this vacation, now enjoying it, getting off your phone. And then like that look on your child's face, like taking it in. And then, oh, I'm feeling a lot of joy. Oh my God, what if she died? Oh my God, this. Oh my God, that. Oh my God. You know what's more convenient? What if I keep looking at the three things that my husband does that really bother me? I won't actually have to feel 
unworthy of the fact that this sweet person has committed his life to me. I'd rather just be like, those dishes, they (laughs) are really worth talking about every day. You know what I'm saying? It's just fascinating. And so in Made to Do This and in this podcast, I feel like I'm literally rewiring people to be like, this is what love gets to feel like. And you can make the choice to tolerate being loved more. And you can make the Mm. choice to let people love you. But guess what? You can give it away too. And then you don't have to work a day job. You can do something you love and you can receive being paid for it. And you can give a lot away and you can wake up from this bad dream, which is like, this is just how it has to be. So, so that's really the quest is like tolerating love and finding our way back. It's like, we got so lost along the way. That journey home feels a lot warmer. Yeah. Although scary at first, because you got to blow up all the things you thought you knew. But that, there's always truth to that. You know, there's a, you just said about receiving love and learning to trust it. You know, there's, because what you said is that that wasn't love. What people experienced was not love. And, you know, like love itself is unlimited. It's conditional. It's not attached to performance or perspective or beliefs or anything. It just is. And we like spend so much time trying to replenish our worth or chase it somewhere else, not recognizing it just is. And I was listening recently to a lecture from Stephen Jenkinson, who talks about death and our relationship to death. He was saying that to love it, you have to love the end. Like you have to love, like death isn't something that gets you or or happens to you. You're not a victim of death. It's part of it all. And he said, like to love a marriage, you have to love the end. You know, I think about that in the context of love and openness within relationship is that to open your heart to possibility, your dreams, you have to at the same time experience the paradoxical pain of them not coming true or it not lasting or whatever that is. You're always being informed by these things that they're all part of the journey that, you know, everything you said resonated so much because so much of birth of my work was to was just watching people, because I experienced it, feel like a failure because their relationship didn't last or they weren't getting it right when literally no one taught us how to fucking do this or how to pursue our dreams or how to how to live a life of joy and possibility. It's almost like we should all experience unlimited suffering to prove that the story is true, which is really fascinating that we're so committed to that. And I am so grateful that you pursued your dream because it is so obvious in the words that you speak that it's not just about, you know, pursuing your purpose. It's about what you get by doing that. You get a life that, because you can't turn up the volume in your dream work and not turn it up everywhere else. It just doesn't work that way. You turn it up working with you, your your whole life's going to change. Well, that's, thank you. And that's where I say, there's been so many moments where I say to my team, you know what, I'm just going to talk about vulnerability and joy and, and let go of the, the work piece. And the reason why I don't over and over again, because I've really considered it is because the pursuit 
of the dreamy jobby thing where you get paid to do something, it puts people right into their resistance and it gives something concrete for them to actually show up for to have this personal transformation because it's impossible for you to kind of dodge your perfectionist tendencies, your self-doubt, connecting and actually having something where you have this gift inside of you. And now you, I'm telling you, you have an assignment to go give it away and then to receive, right? Even like the first time we tell people to make an offer after they've tested something they love doing is we're like, charge $5. They're like, I'm literally going to be sick. And I'm like, (laughs) I know you can do it. I know you can do it. And then I want you to ask for feedback so that you hear from another human what they want and make it better. Oh, okay. Well, I heard that they like the cinnamon donuts. They didn't like, great. So it's all a obstacle course in learning to receive, learning to listen, learning to create a world around the stories you tell, realize just, so yeah. And then what I do love about it is that why should you have to choose between money, abundance, and this joy and alignment? Nobody said that that's a thing either. No one said that, right? Money is just another uh, energy source. It's like oxygen, rain, you know, there's water and there's money and money's great. And, you know, you like, you put some of that over here and it's gas for these other things. And so why do we have to have shame around that? Well, I can be aligned now and joyful, but I'm not going to be a greedy person with money. What's that story? You can think of people, you know, of course, who have no money, who are beautiful People with lots of money who are beautiful, whose names are on buildings, getting water to people all over the world. Like, what are we talking about? Mm -hmm. You don't have to, again, rob yourself of having the most magnificent sushi dinners looking at the ocean. You can still be kind. You don't have to choose between kindness and having abundance. And so then I say to people, how much could you tolerate to receive across the board? And then put it right back into the world. Money's like blood in the body. It's got to keep going, going, going. Every time Mm. it comes in, hire someone else, go to that local shop, do something awesome. And oh yeah, enjoy yourself too, right? Fill yourself up without shame. So when you walk down the street, you become a possibility lightning rod Mm. for other people to think they get to do that too. Yes. What is this whole thing about? None of that. Why is this a good thing then to be on this planet? So, so yeah. I'm a big fan of of utilizing the let's pursue sort of this dream work as just a means to unleashing all the rest. Beautiful. Kathy Heller. We did it. We did Thank it. Thank you so much for the conversation. I'm so I'm so glad to meet you and and have this time. Thank you for dropping truth wisdom bombs all over the listener, you, the listener's ears or <laughs> their minds, they're all going to be that emoji where the roof of their head is just blowing off. And I hope everybody listening checks out your book, checks out your podcast, checks out your course, because I'm sure that no matter what position we are in in our lives, what you've said has shaken ourselves in some way to resonate in a different way and to wake up more because I find most people are at a volume of 30, 50, 70, and not 100. And you can even go above 100. You can get loud. And so Kathy Heller, so much gratitude. Thank you. So Where fine. do people I, find you? You can come to my Instagram at kathy.heller. Kathy's with a C. You can follow the podcast wherever you want. And yeah, like this is just open heart. You know, I'll meet you. I'll meet you in that vibration of love. I'll, I'll, meet you guys there and we're unstoppable when we meet there 
nothing else we need. And yeah, let's let's turn the volume up on that, like you said. Let's let's come home. Mm. And and then maybe we can we can be a lighthouse for other people too. I bet we can be. I bet just a little bit more of us being alive and awake will bring other people home just like immediately. And you're doing that, Mark. So thank you for that. Thank you for being here. I dare you, the listener, to do that. Turn up the volume. 